we've been doing a lot of series kind of, I guess, like biblically based or, or kind of thinking about doctrine or things that we believe. So we did, a, you know, obviously the last sermon series we did was um, Jesus's I Ams, right? The seven I Ams out of the book of John. And then we did a sermon series um, previously to that on the Trinity, which is kind of, a, again, a heavy um, series on theology. We did that kind of, the PB&J series, the, the Paul, Jesus, and the Bible, or kind of Paul, Jesus, and the Old Testament kind of intersecting. And I, I've just been thinking about this, and um, I want to work through the book of Colossians, because I've kind of started some, some legwork on this book of Colossians. But what I think I want to do next in the fall season is I want to I do a sermon series um, on just kind of some current events. I, I don't want to say hot topics, because I don't think that that's the right word for it, but if that makes sense to you, hot topics, we have a lot of things going on in this world that are that that need to be thought through. And so, as we've kind of done this theology side of it, I want to move into some of these things that are really in the forefront of our of our kind of national and current debate. I want to talk about abortion. We need to talk about that. We need to talk about gun control or lack thereof. We need to talk about moral failures within the church, which is happening left and right. And if you follow any sort of Christian news, the whole Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest denomination in the country, um, is kind of going through a a massive upheaval with so much um, failure in that denomination. Um, I want to talk about some of the race things. I want to talk about politics. Um, These things are, by the way, all the things that don't get discussed in a healthy manner in our society. We tend to shout these things. So I want us to approach them as disciples of Jesus and wrestle with these issues. Now, I say this because we can't... All right. Good yeah, <laughs> this is Brian. Brian, thank you. I say this because without... Now, think about this. Without the theology, right? Without an appropriate view of the, how the Trinity functions without us understanding the nature of Jesus' claims, of how the Bible and Paul and the writers kind of all intersect, without that foundation, then we just move into these kind of hot topics or these current subjects, and we just kind of will end up as, as the national dialogue has been just yelling at one another, right? And I've never wanted, I saw this tweet from, I don't know how y'all feel about Elon Musk, and there's probably various debate about this guy, but I saw, I saw this tweet, this was weeks ago. This was probably at the beginning of the Ukraine war where he says, I support the current thing. And, you know, it's kind of got all these flags behind and it's got this guy who kind of looks really just disinterested or just kind of like, what you know, whatever. And I never wanted our church to become the church that kind of just hobby horses from one current issue to the next, right? I really believe this. I really believe that if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, right, in, in, in kind of, so to speak, in some senses, just staying within our lane, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, and that if is big, because right now, listen to this, it is cultural, you are a cultural heretic. It is cultural heresy. If you don't have an opinion on everything, the moment it happens, right, You are a cultural heretic if you don't have an opinion on every single thing the moment it happens, right? You have to have an opinion, and you have to share it, and you have to tell everybody, and it usually happens through social media, right? 
And so I say that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we do that, right? When we keep our eyes on Jesus, then when we speak about these things, as we're keeping our eyes on Jesus, we understand that we still live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. We are ones in whom God dwells and delights. And we are able to speak about these things from a different, a different base, a different gravity, a different perspective and able to engage those things. So I want to engage those things. One of the things I heard this week is when you don't engage those things in your church, they become idols, things that you can't talk about, right? And I'm like, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of poignant. And I've avoided a lot of the things, right? Um, war or LGBTQ ideas, um, or again, abortion or gun control. I've avoided those things because I, I know the temperature of our church and I know where a lot of people kind of fit in and I don't want to offend people. And then I'm like, hmm, that's an idol right? If you're avoiding it because you don't want to offend, that's an idol. So I want to speak about some of those things, um, but again, I want to do that from the proper, the proper base of, of as disciples of Jesus. That make sense? Amen. That was a long opening to the sermons. That was a long like, uh, commercial for a sermon series that's going to happen in the fall. But just so you guys know, we've done the Trinity, we've done the I Ams, we've done the PB&J, we're going to do the Colossians, but we got to talk about some of these, these cultural things. And it's probably always good to, to give us a little bit of time. James 119. Uh, I read the book of James when, when he was born in the Bible, when, when he was born in the hospital. James 119. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James is saying, write this down. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. God, if we haven't reversed that in our culture, quick to be angry quick to speak and slow to listen, right? So doing this in a time where we can really listen, pay attention, and then we can kind of see what we need to do. On to the book of Colossians. Here's a map of where Colossians actually is. Modern day Turkey, kind of right here in the middle. What's interesting about this book of Colossians is in about the year 60 AD, there was an earthquake. Um, the city was not rebuilt. It wasn't really a city. It was kind of a, more of a suburb. It was kind of more of a town. It was kind of more of a small um, not a village, but kind of a little bit bigger. There isn't much from this, this kind of town, we'll call it. There wasn't much from this town that's ever kind of been discovered, say, archaeologically. So we don't have a whole lot of information about this city as opposed to some of the bigger cities that have been um, excavated uh, extensively, right? Ephesus, Iconium, Derby, Antioch, some of these cities that have, we have all this um, archaeological information from. So Paul writes this book. Um, he writes this book. There's kind of some disagreement from where he writes this book. Some people say that he writes it from Rome as he's imprisoned in Rome, right? He, he does his three journeys. Paul does his three missionary journeys. Uh, and then he's eventually arrested. He appeals to Caesar, which means he gets sent all the way. And you can follow this. I know it's hard to see this purple line. It takes him all the way up to Rome. So some people says that he writes it while he's imprisoned in Rome. The book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome in prison. The one problem with that, some people point out, is that Paul was using um, some, some kind of couriers to carry his letters uh, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Colossae, to the, um, and to a guy named Philemon. So one peop some people say that it's, it's highly unlikely that Paul was using couriers, sending them back and forth. You know, there wasn't like, an easy jet to kind of jump back and forth. So 
Um, N.T. Wright points out that he believes that Paul writes this letter from Ephesus as he's kind of there. One of the things that you might see too is as you're looking at this map, what do you notice about the city of Colossae? Anybody notice something unique about that? I'm trying to figure out what country it is now. Turkey. This is, this is kind of modern day Turkey. No. Central. Mm-hmm. It's right in the middle. Yeah, is there something you notice about this city of Colossae as you're looking at this map in particular? I'm going to say it and you're like, oh, yeah. Landlocked. It's landlocked, good. Notice his journeys. Notice Paul's journeys. What do we notice about Paul's journeys in relation to this map? He's never, he never goes there. So normally Paul, no. normally Paul visits or plants a church, right? This is all this, the stops that he's kind of visited along the way. And then he would write letters back to the church. Paul never goes to Colossae, right? He never visits this town. So he has a friend, Epaphras, who started this church, right? And so he's actually kind of writing a letter. This is kind of unique for Paul because Paul, again, Think about the letters that we have, the letter of Ephesians, right? The letter of Corinthians, right? The letter of Thessalonians, uh, Philippians, right? So Paul normally would start these places or, or go to these places, and then he would write letters back to them, but he doesn't do that here. He's never been to Colossae, so he's kind of writing a letter um, on behalf of, of a guy who started the church there, Epaphras. Um, and so here he is, Colossae. We're going to read this, this book. Uh, so let's start here with the first 14 verses. Let's read it in the round. Someone want to kick it off? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. The God's holy people in Colossae. 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 Yeah. The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the same message of the gospel. That has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood. God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience giving joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light for he has rescued us from the domination or dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption 
the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, just a great opening, right? Beautiful. Paul, I mean, just writing this letter to this church, he's talking about his friend Epaphras, who's, who's, who's kind of the guy who's, who started it. The issue when you do a, a, a book of the Bible like this is you, you don't want to spend too much time kind of diving into all the historical, cultural context of the church, right? You just don't want to give historical lessons. Um, but you don't also just, on the other side, want to just spiritualize it, right? So you just kind of pull out these quote-unquote timeless truths that make us feel good or that kind of apply to our lives. Um, N.T. Wright has a great quote as he's talking about this in his commentary. He says, this is the clue to understanding Colossians, the spirit in the church, right? Here lies the clue which can help us understand how we get from this ancient text, right, written to this city, this town, to our modern situation sitting here. Actively and carefully listening to the Christians of other backgrounds and periods of history. This, this, by the way, this next part, I probably fell out of my seat reading this. So that we can have our wrong ideas gently corrected. Can we pause for a second? And I just want to tell you that right now in your brain you have wrong ideas. And they need to be gently corrected. I have wrong ideas and they need to be gently corrected. And I look to the scriptures to have that have that corrected. Thank the Lord, right? So we actively and carefully listen to the Christians of other backgrounds and periods of history so that we can have our wrong ideas gently encouraged, but have hope. You also have right ideas in your head and our right ideas encouraged. Then we contribute to the future of the church. The spirit in the church is what we'll look at over these next couple weeks studying the book of Colossians having our wrong ideas gently corrected and our right ideas encouraged. Now, as we think about that, I want to talk specifically this morning about a virtuous cycle. But to talk about a virtuous cycle, we got to start first by talking about a vicious cycle. Vicious cycle. You guys ready? Vicious cycles. Here we go. A couple examples. The vicious cycle. You have a lack of confidence, which leads to a fair, fair fear of failure which leads to an unwillingness to try new challenges. I don't know why I made this one so small, by the way, either. Which leads to slow progress, perceived lack of success, which leads to more lack of confidence, fear of failure, unwillingness to try. You see that vicious cycle, right? Everybody's heard of vicious cycle, and they're kind of all in different ways that we have this, these different vicious cycles. Um, here's another one. Somebody, somebody came to church this one for this this morning. They, just, they needed the Lord to speak this word to them. You chill out on Pinterest looking at hair colors. I should dye my hair. Three hours later, you have new hair. Ta-da. Oh my gosh, I got no work done tonight. So you get really stressed out. And because you're so stressed out, you have to chill out on Pinterest looking at hair colors. This is the vicious cycle of Pinterest stress right here. Somebody came, the Lord just needed to speak that word to them this morning, that you are living in a vicious cycle of Pinterest stress. And that's your word of the Lord for this morning. Here's another one. Um, <laughs> you feel fat. You go on a juice cleanse. You lose five pounds. You have someone call you skinny. <laughs> I just pulled these from the internet. So this is just you treat yourself. And then this is the vicious cycle, right? This was another one. And if none of those resonated with you, this one was for Brian Deshaun. 
because only Brian Deshaun, you might realize that in 2003, Leonard Skinner released an album called, <laughs> called Vicious Cycle. And if you bought this particular CD, you got an attitude patch with it. I think you can still buy it on eBay. But this is the Leonard Skinner Vicious Cycle CD. So we're just pulling, we're just pulling examples from all over the world. Pinterest, Juice Cleanses, Leonard Skinner. Um, <laughs> metal or something. Anyway. Yeah. And there was a time in my life when Leonard Skinner might have been the most important band <laughs> in my life. I don't think it is anymore, but I do remember as a youth pastor teaching kids that the most important rock and roll song in all of human history was Freebird. Um, and I would make a listen to all, is it like 25 minutes of it? I think seven or eight. Okay, maybe I'm confusing that with, that, with the Sufjan's. <laughs> the live version where they just hit that guitar riff for 14 minutes straight. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's it. That's my big opening. Thank you, Robert. The sermon is now over. <laughs> that would, I'll do a whole sermon based around some sort of... Is it really? Okay. Yeah. So some people came for um, this, and some people came for this. Some people don't even know why they're here right now. I, read, I bring this up, this vicious cycle, obviously to have a little bit of fun. The other reason is because Mark Minnell, in his commentary, he, he used this brilliant, this brilliant um, interpretation in which he looked at this verse, and he calls it a virtuous, I kind of like the phrase, a victorious, like in, in the sense of victory, a victorious cycle or a virtuous cycle. And he looks at this in this way. So 9 and 10, he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, right, Paul's talking about him and Epaphras and some of his, his missionary team thinking about this church in Colossae, we have not stopped praying for you. And what he's praying for is he's praying that we're asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So Meinel in his commentary says, his vir virtuous or victorious cycle is to know God's will, to grow in godly wisdom, and that leads in living a life that is worthy of the Lord. And then as you live a life or as you lead a life worthy of the Lord, you continually grow in God's will, or you continually know more and more of God's will, you grow more and more in godly wisdom, you live a life, and it just kind of, he, he uses this, and I like this, this kind of idea better, it's, it spirals upwards, right? It spirals upwards as you grow, and, and again, not like God's up there and we're down here or anything like that, but just you grow and you mature and you learn. So let's kind of take a look at each of those three, and, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap that up after there. Uh, knowing God's will. Uh, you ever had somebody in their life just kind of say like, oh man, just need to know what God's will is for my life, right? I just want to know what God's will is for me. I think this conversation happens a lot, especially around college, maybe um, kind of like, what's that? Relationship. First time. Yeah. Oh man, is this one, I just need to know if this is, so here's my silly examples, right? I don't know, Cal State Long Beach or Cal State Fullerton. I don't know which one. You know, this guy, I need to know God's will. 
Dustin and Ashley, we miss you. I don't know, California or Tennessee, where am I going to go? What's God's will for me? Should I buy that Mercedes? Your Phil and Elise aren't even here. I had this for Phil. Should I buy that Mercedes Sprinter or should I get the Ford Transit? Just want to know God's will, right? And so we come to these big decisions of like, you know, we got to know what it is, right? And, and if we make the wrong turn, you are going to take the pathway of destruction. This is often the way that kind of knowing God's will is framed. So we often sit in this moment and we, we're thinking about these things. Um, I'm trying to think of an example from, from someone in our church right now. Well, I don't, I don't need to use a cow. You know, we sit in these things sometimes and we're like, okay, God, you got to speak to me. And we're, we're expecting like, like the big voice from heaven, right? When God's like, I want you to stay in California, go to Cal State Fullerton, buy the Sprinter. You know, we're expecting to hear like that kind of an audible voice because we want to know God's will. And if we don't know God's will, the, the, the wrong path is going to lead us down to destruction. We're going to fall apart. We're going to flunk out of college. Our car is going to break down. You know, we're going to have a tornado in Tennessee and everything's going to go, you know, we're afraid that something bad's going to happen. Now, what's behind this often, especially in our culture, what's behind this kind of knowing God's will and this mentality of knowing God's will, what's behind this is something that's called expressive individualism. We've talked briefly about this over the past couple weeks, something I've been thinking a little bit more and more about as I've been learning about it. Expressive individualism, the highest good for an individual, for a person sitting in this room, the highest good, the, the, the greatest level of achievement is for you to fully express yourself, your individualistic nature, who you really are against the oppressive nature of the community, the system, the society. So we use these phrases, you just, you be you, right? Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Find Find out who you are, right? So when we think about knowing God's will for our life, we only really want to know God's will for our life so that we can fully express who we are, our individualistic nature. Um, Again, that oppressive system, that society, I got to stand up, I got to choose the right path so that I can be true to myself and follow my heart, right? So this often, when we talk about knowing God's will, when we hear this phrase, this is kind of the, 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 the tape that gets played in the background, right? Meinel points this out in his commentary, and again, this is another one of those almost fall out of my seat moments, where he says, Paul tends to write about the will of God for believers in universal rather than individualistic terms, right? In universal rather than individualistic terms. And then he puts a couple scripture references in there, and I just kind of started pouring through some of these scripture references. Here's God's will for your life. Anybody who ever asks, I just want to know God's will for my life. Here it is. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, right? Paul says God's will for your life is to be clean and pure, specifically in sexual areas, right? What's God's will for you? To be rejoicing, to continually be praying, to give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will for you? That you would make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't 
live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants, what the will of God is. That's Peterson's translation of Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Don't, don't. Yeah. I don't know if we've had a firework go off during church in our years of, of churching it up, but that was pretty impressive. Um, they're, maybe they're just making the most of every chance they get. <laughs> uh, but this idea that, you know, a lot of people just kind of, uh, the, the Forrest Gump, just floating through life like a feather accidental-like, right? Remember that end of Forrest Gump? Do we have a purpose in life? Are we just floating through life like a feather in the breeze? And a lot of people just float through life like that, unthinkingly, carelessly. Paul says, make the most of the will of God. Understand what the will of God is. Acts 22, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. To know and hear and see the words of Jesus. This is God's will. One more. Romans 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So when I think about knowing God's will, instead of like this kind of idea of I have to choose this path, and if I don't choose the right path, I'll go into this pathway of destruction. I think about knowing God's will as knowing his character, right? Knowing God's character. And the, the image that comes to my mind is I don't know if this is an actual true freeway or if this is um, if this is like a photoshopped freeway, but I found this one. This is a ten lane freeway, which makes me think that it's that it's photoshopped. Maybe somebody at some point can um, fact check if this is an actual freeway. Um, I think about knowing God's will as you're driving down the freeway, and God says you get to choose your lane, right? You get to choose between Fullerton and Long Beach. You get to choose between California and Tennessee. You get to choose between the Sprinter or the Transit. You get to choose between if you want to stay in this job or you want to move on, if you want to have more kids or not. You get to choose those things, but the guardrails, the things that I want to set up for you that I want you to stay within, the, the kind of flow of traffic, you can't go without outside of these boundaries, right? The guardrails would be like being sanctified, being pure sexually, right? Rejoicing, prayer, thankfulness, living intentionally, learning and listening from Jesus, sacrifice, a life of sacrifice, being transformed. And if you stay within that will of God, knowing his character, then it's not like, I, you don't have to be paralyzed in this decision-making process. You say, God, I am living a life knowing your will, universally, the, the, the will that he's laid out for all Christians, Right? And we get to walk then and choose these lanes in which God, you don't have to stay in this lane. If you move over two lanes, it's okay. You'll be there. But God, I want to live and know your will. Right? I want to know your character. Isn't that a radically different idea of knowing the will of God than what we get sold currently? Right? You got to choose this right path. So as you know God's will, then you, you begin to grow in wisdom. Right? And I don't know why, I think at one point I had, I had an Obi-Wan Kenobi reference. 
Maybe just because the Disney series wrapped up and I've been thinking a lot about Obi-Wan Kenobi as some sort of wise person. But when we think about wise people, maybe this isn't the first person that comes to this. My wife's like, I don't even know who that guy is. That guy's some weirdo. Um, we think about like some old guy. He's got a beard like Mark, you know. He's he's kind of has all this experience and he's, you know, he was the valedictorian of his class, you know, and, and has a, a PhD or something like that, right? Um, we think about wisdom in those sorts of terms. Notice Paul calls it spiritual wisdom, right? Growing in spiritual wisdom. Paul phrases it like this, or um, N.T. Wright phrases it like this, wisdom is the characteristic of the truly human person who takes the humble yet confident place marked out for Adam in the order of creation, under God, and over the world. I love this last line. Paul never plays this plays off the spiritual life against intellectual understanding, right? It's spiritual wisdom. It is both. Um, There was one of the examples that I I was reading about. It was a guy named John Selden, right? I'm sure that probably doesn't ring bells for you. That's because this guy lived about 500 years ago. John Selden, a scholar, a politician, a jurist from England. one One of the people referred to him as in his day, the chief of learned men um, reputed in the land. Like he was known, his reputation was the chief of all learned men. This guy, John Selden, back in the 1500s, right? So here he is. Look at that, man. Brian, you got some work to do if you want to catch up to John Selden, bro. You need to get some curls going on. You're a little kind of. Just hit, hit, hit it with that curling iron. Get a nice high collar. <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> everything that's old is new again, my man. <laughs> um, Selden says this, on his deathbed. On his deathbed, he says, I have surveyed most of the learning that is among the sons of men, and my study is filled with books and manuscripts on various subjects. I think, is this not, he, he has, he had, he had a library, this was in, in this quote, he had a library of 8,000 volumes of books, right? 8,000 volumes of books. Again, smartest guy as, as he's to be kind of known in England during his day. I've surveyed most of the learning that is among the sons of men, and my study is filled with books and manuscripts on various subjects. But at present, I can't recollect any passage out of all my books and papers whereon I can rest my soul, except for this one passage from the sacred scriptures. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's a quote from Titus 2.1. On his deathbed, he says, of all the learning I've ever done, of all the wisdom, of all the knowledge I've ever gathered, The only thing that I can rest my soul on, that I can rest my head on, that I can rest my life on, that one verse from Titus, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Just a beautiful image and what I think true wisdom really looks like. So we kind of begin to understand the guardrails that we we have for knowing God's will and knowing his character. We grow in wisdom to realize what is true wisdom is really just... It's all about God. It's about God sending his son. That is really the true wisdom. We can have all the knowledge. You can have all the books. You can have all the study. What really matters is the grace of God 
that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And then Paul closes this kind of, or we kind of close this, this virtuous or this victorious cycle. As we do this, we live a life that is worthy. Um, as I was kind of meditating on this last little passage um, or this last little phrase, the, what came to my mind real vividly, just hearing that phrase, I don't know why I automatically connected it to this movie Saving Private Ryan. We all remember this movie Saving Private Ryan. Here's the movie of Saving Private Ryan in three screens. So at the beginning, this is the older James Ryan, and he goes to um, a cemetery, right? He goes to the cemetery, and the reason he's at a cemetery is he goes to the cemetery because Captain Miller, which was played by Tom Hanks, and his men are all on this mission to bring Ryan, to save Private Ryan, hence the name Saving Private Ryan, to send him home, right? So... Tom Hanks and his men go all through this mission to save Private Ryan, to go save him. At the very end, all the men in this little company, they die, and Tom Hanks himself uh, dies himself too. But on that bridge, we all remember this scene. Maybe maybe this is more of like a, a man movie reference. I don't know if, if, if the ladies quite resonate with this this um, this one. But at the end of that one, there's, yeah, I should have, yeah, there's that one scene, and you can kind of see it down here. I'll talk about this, but remember, Tom Hanks is on the on the bridge as he's dying, and he says to he says to Private Ryan, he says, "Earn this." Do you guys remember that? The, the kind of the last words, "Earn this," right? And this kind of concept of earn this is Tom Hanks's character, his way of say, making sure that the rescue mission, right, his company, that his friend's death, his own, will not be in vain. Spielberg, who directed this film. The others are telling the viewer of this kind of saga that we've all have a responsibility to earn the freedom that was purchased for us at such a horrifying price. When I hear this phrase that Paul says to live a life that's worthy, I would kind of, I would kind of put it in in very similar terms. Right? It's Paul's way of making sure that Jesus' rescue mission, that his death, will not be in vain. Paul and others are telling every reader of this letter that we all have the responsibility to live, to walk. Another way, another translation of that word live is actually just to walk, to walk a life that's worthy. We'll talk about in one second. Walk in the freedom that was purchased for you at so horrifying a price. Right? That's what Paul is trying to say. I want you to live a life that's worthy. And I, if you're getting tripped up by, you know, well, the gospel as opposed to earning, it's, it's just a free gift. I understand that. And uh, Dallas Willard would say, the gospel is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Right? We do have an effort that we put in to our life with God. The gospel is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. So we live a life that's worthy. Um, and again, this kind of idea to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And then Paul just tells us how to do it, right? Here's, here's the end of verse 10. He says, um, I want you to bear fruit in every good work, right? How do you walk in a manner? Just real simply, just walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Um, bearing fruit in every good work. What are we doing today, right? It's just a good work that we're going to go out and share with the neighborhood. It's just 
our fifth Sunday when we go out and serve. It's just something that we do and serve in the neighborhood. It's just bearing fruit in the good works that we do, right? And then he says, I want you also to grow in the knowledge of God, right? Uh, I had some, some really fine compliments come to me this week. Um, which really strengthened and encouraged my soul. And were some folks said to me, uh, I hope this doesn't sound in any sort of bragging way, but some folks said to me, Eric, your sermons have really had a, a profound impact on me over these last couple months, year. And I've had a, it made me reflect on some other people saying that to me as well too. Um, but my hope, and when, I do, when we do these sermon times, is simply that you would just grow in the knowledge of who God is, of who Jesus is of his nature, of the, of the nature of the Trinity, right? So we, we have these, when we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, we, we simply do some good works. We grow in knowledge. That's sermon, that's scripture, that's your own private study, that's a podcast you listen to, um, that's a devotional you do. Um, and then he says, um, being strengthened with all power according to his, uh, did I skip one? Growing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance um, and patience. And this is just, to me, this is just being opened. I think one of the different translations said that you're strengthened by the Holy Spirit, that we're open to the Holy Spirit for strength, right? The Holy Spirit just to strengthen us. To me, that just happens in prayer. There's, there's no real way to shortcut that other than just being in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. And I can hear my sons starting to wake up, so that means the sermon should be over. And then joyfully giving thanks, right? right? Verse 12, in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. This is how we just walk a life that's worthy of the Lord. Good works, growing in knowledge, open to the Holy Spirit for strength, giving thanks. And again, this is, this is that kind of virtuous, victorious cycle that we get to participate in. Um, I think that's about all I got for this morning. Let's do a little discussion, a short time. I, it's 11 right now, so we, we're not in any sort of, any sort of huge rush. Um, but I think we could kind of discuss this and see where this, this intersects for our personal lives. Um, some questions. Is there a current issue? You know, going back to my kind of long opening commercial for the fall sermon series, is there a current issue that you would would be good for our church to discuss that we need to kind of tackle head on and, and just think about and prayerfully consider? Of those will of God verses, Thessalonians, Ephesians, Acts, Romans, of those will of God verses, and if you need me to go back to that reference or that, that page, was there one that stood out to you and why? Um, if you were to think about wisdom, how would you describe that wisdom? Uh, in what way might the Holy Spirit be calling you, again, to earn this, this idea of effort that we actually put something into this life, uh, might be calling you to this, earn this, to this life that is worthy? And if you just like, are a little bit 4th of July brain dead at the moment, and you just need to like kind of have one of those moments to just talk about your favorite 4th of July tradition. I don't know, maybe it's grilling hot dogs, or you can have that moment too. That was a really bad example. Everybody grills hot dogs on 4th of July, so I don't know why that's a special tradition. But anyway, take a minute and discuss those, and then we'll, we'll do some group discussion.